Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life, and uh, welcome to all of you, our church family. And if this is your first time here, a special welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. And uh, we're, we're in the midst of this series right now where we're going all in. And we're talking about the seven core values here uh, that we have at New Life. And these seven core values really are the, are the things that, that, that drive the engine of the mission here at New Life. In fact, a few months ago, the, the lead team got together and, and really looked across the church as a whole and said, you know, what is it that really, uh, that really pushes our mission out? And what we discovered were these seven things that, that really we saw here alive in our church. And that's what this series has been all about, is introducing you to these seven core values that are really driving the mission here at New Life. And so what I want to do right now is, is put these up. And throughout the weeks, uh, Pastor Chris has been having you say the action point. Uh, so I'll say the, the uh, value and you say the action point. I would encourage you to do that today as well. So here's the first value that we have. We follow Jesus. So you say, take, awesome. Good, good job for early in the morning. All right. We care for lost people. We trust the Bible. We engage in worship. We love each other. We live in the spirit. We give generously. So we've talked about the first three. The, the very first week we talked about what it means to follow Jesus because if, it, if we weren't following Jesus, we wouldn't be here as a church. Um, but we are following Jesus because we believe that Jesus, uh, God sent Jesus here to live a life we couldn't live, to die a death we should have died. And God raised him back to life three days after he was buried. And Jesus overcame sin and death forever in that moment. And uh, Jesus said, if we will believe in him, we can receive a new life and adoption as sons and daughters into his kingdom. And so we want to follow him in obedience. And that's the very first thing that we want to do. And then the second week, as a, as a result of following Jesus, is we care for lost people. We care for lost people because Jesus cared for lost people. All of us were lost at one time or another, and we needed Jesus to make himself real to us so that we could be welcomed into God's family. And once we receive Jesus, then we become found people, but found people uh, go and find people. And that's such an important thing. So we care for lost people. And then last week we talked about uh, we trust the Bible. We trust the Bible in a, in a culture and in an age that is trying to discredit the Scripture. Um, we, we told you why we trust the Bible. And if you missed any of those uh, messages, you can go online to newlifexn.org and watch those. And I would encourage you to do that. And today, we're going to jump into a core value, uh, the fourth one, which is we engage in worship. We engage in worship. And, and this value really has shaped new life really ever since the beginning. You know, I came here 10 years ago in, in 2007, and when I came here, one of the key things that I noticed is, man, this church worships Jesus. They love him. They, they want to engage him in worship. And, and so that had been something, as I got to know Pastor Chris, that, that was on his heart ever since the beginning. And I'm not even sure he really even knew it. He just knew that all he wanted to do was worship. And so that was a key part of our culture here at New Life. But here's the deal. We have a serious problem. We are prone to waste our lives on things that don't matter. Now, it's a human problem. It's a natural problem. And it's a problem that all of us struggle with. And maybe you came in here today and, and you even are wondering, am I investing my life in things that matter most? I mean, you know, 
maybe you're coming in off of a, a whole day off and, and all you did was binge watch Netflix yesterday, you know? I mean, I have four kids and sometimes I long for that day. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen anymore. And, and, and that's probably a good thing because really when, when we bump up against this tension in our life, that's, that's, that's there on purpose because we don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to waste our lives on things that don't matter. But as human beings, we tend to want to, to do that. We want to waste our lives on things that don't matter. Now, there's a solution to that problem and there's hope. So if you're in here today and you're struggling because you, you don't have a life that's filled with joy and, and satisfaction and, and freedom and purpose, I want you to know that, that Jesus will lead us into that life if we'll let him. But we have to get out of our own way. We have to get out of our own way. And, and so we're going to talk about that solution today. But before we do that, we need to understand the problem. So about 4,000 years ago, there was a guy named Moses, and Moses is very popular in Jewish circles. And if you've read the Old Testament, you, you probably know who Moses is and some of what he did. But I just want to tell you that Moses was very popular because what he did was he relied on God as he led the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. And God told Moses to do this, and, and Moses really wasn't a stand-up guy. I mean, he was a murderer, and he ran away from, from really the consequence of that out into the wilderness. And, and God met him and said, Moses, I have a job for you to do. I have something that I need you to step into in your life. Because if you don't do this, uh, your people are just going to continue to suffer. And so Moses said, okay, God, I, I, I can't talk. You know, God brought somebody um, for Moses to speak for him because he probably had a stuttering problem. It would have been very difficult to understand what Moses had to say. But Moses went back to the Pharaoh and he said to Pharaoh very boldly, <laughs> let my people go. And Pharaoh said, okay, I'll let your people go. And then, and then he would change his mind. And so God sent plagues on Pharaoh and on the people of Egypt um, in order that, that the word might be fulfilled, that Moses would lead the people out. And finally, after God had a very serious plague that, that killed all the firstborn children in Egypt, Moses led the people out of Egypt. And God did these, I mean, just miraculous things for them. He, he, he just spread the, the, the Red Sea apart so that they could walk across on dry land. And then as they came across and they looked back and they saw the, the army of, of Egypt coming after them because Pharaoh again had changed his mind and wanted to get them back, God closed it up on their enemies and washed them out, destroyed them. God did all of these incredible things for his people because he loved them and he made a promise to them and he was going to fulfill that promise. But as the Israelites got into the wilderness and as they were traveling to the promised land, something happened. They began to lose their focus they started to go backwards. And what happened was they started to care for themselves more than care for God or love for God. In other words, they, they began to focus on their own needs rather than their greatest need, which was a God who loved them. They stopped trusting God. I mean, you know, this is incredible to me because the Israelites had just seen God cast all of these plagues on the people of Egypt and none of the plagues touched the, the Israelites. And then God led them across the Red Sea on dry land with the water just walled up, heaped up. I love that. On either side, on dry land, they walked across and they get into the wilderness and they just forget all that God did for them. You know, and, and, but I understand that 
because I'm a human just like they were humans. And that's what tends to happen. We are prone to begin to waste our lives on things that don't matter. We begin to worry about things that we can't really change or we can't uh, have influence on. And so we worry and we waste our lives or, or we focus too much on other things and we waste our lives. And that's what was happening to the Israelites. And so God came down and decided to have a meeting with Moses to help them understand their problem and receive a solution. And here's what happened. So the Israelites were settling around this mountain called Mount Sinai and God gave them this word. Here's what it says from Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of their parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So God makes very clear what the problem is. In fact, it's right in the middle of these instructions. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that this is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Okay, if you're not familiar with Scripture, just know that this is the beginning of the Ten Commandments right here. And he puts something right in the middle. I mean, these are like the ten things that God wanted Israel to know. This is the top ten. And he puts right in the middle, he points to the problem. And here it is. The root of our problem is a misplaced affection. It's a misplaced affection. So if you have your outline inside your connection, I would encourage you to get that out and fill that in because this is really important that we understand this. The root of the problem was a misplaced affection. The Israelites were, were not focused... On, them, on God, they were focused on themselves. They were caring for themselves more than they were caring about what God wanted for them. Look what God said. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. You see, what happens is when we focus our affections on anything else other than God and God receiving our greatest affection, we begin to experience frustration and disappointment. That's exactly what happened to the Israelites, and that's exactly what happens to us. So through his instruction, God identified and helped the Israelites to understand that their real problem was a worship problem. Their real problem was a worship problem. God was not first in their lives. He made clear three specific times that people must not, must not worship any other gods or misuse his name because there is no life there is no hope, there's no satisfaction, there's no joy, there's no purpose in following anybody else except for God. See, if the Israelites would have focused their hearts on him, they would find joy, satisfaction, freedom, and purpose. I mean, look what God said in verse 6. Here's what he said. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. The Israelites were presented with the solution that leads to life. The ball now was in their court. They had a decision to make because now they had had a, a revelation from God. They had knowledge revealed to them 
that they had a worship problem and that God needed to be the central focus of their affections. So the ball was in their court. So let's fast forward now 4,000 years. Here we are today. Some of us are bumping up against a life with no sense of joy, satisfaction, freedom, or purpose. So what do we do? Well, we have to do the exact same thing that the Israelites had to do. We must refocus our affections. We must deal with our own worship problem, and we must stop seeking life from things that have no life to give, like Facebook, or like power, or money, or sex, or drugs, or whatever it is that that you idolize in your life, or whatever I idolize in my life that I think will give me a sense of purpose or a sense of accomplishment. Whatever those things are, they're just idols. Because only God can give us the true satisfaction and joy that we desire. Only God can give us the life that we've always wanted. But as a human, we we are prone to waste our lives on things that don't matter most. And so we need help. So how do we refocus our affections? How do we do that? How do we make God the central focus of our lives. Well, I believe there are two ways that are very clear in the scriptures. The first one is this. We must worship Jesus together. We must worship Jesus together. And the second one comes out of that, and that is that we must serve him. We must serve him. And I want to show you a, a scripture passage from 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul is teaching the Corinthian church what it means to worship. He's summarizing a lot of teaching about worship. And I want you to understand that when we worship Jesus together, it does something to our hearts. It focuses our hearts on him, and it refocuses our affection towards him. So let's look at this first one. We must worship Jesus together. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach. Another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. So let's break that down a little bit. The first thing that we have to understand is the Apostle Paul assumed something very daring. That Christians would meet together regularly for worship. That was daring back in his day because if Christians gathered together in the wrong place, they could be killed. And it's the same way in other parts of the, of the world today. But as Americans, it's daring for a different reason. That means we have to give up things in order to come to worship and be together with the church family. So listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, this is, this is not directed towards you. Okay, so don't feel guilty about this. But if you are a follower of Jesus right now, I'm not asking you to feel guilty, but I just want to present the fact that we need to continue to meet regularly together. That's what the Apostle Paul assumed here, that we would do that, that we would make it a commitment to be a part of a church family on a regular basis, on an ongoing basis. And and what really every statistic is pointing to is that Americans, okay, this is specifically Americans, consider it a a regular experience to to attend church at least one time a month, and, and they're really committed if they come twice to church. That's, I'm sorry, that's crazy. Okay, regular for me is like every week or like every day, okay? And I don't think you need to come to church every day. I mean, if you want to, you can, but, but you don't have to. I mean, but getting together every week, Paul assumed that we would do that because it's so important. So I'm a human just like you guys. 
And the truth is, there are days like today when I woke up and I heard the rain and it was still dark out. And man, when it's dark out, my kids sleep forever. And it is awesome. And I don't want to get up. You know? And, and then I know that I have to. And so I, I get up and, and I, I follow Jesus in, in coming here. And my goal is not to make anybody feel guilty or anybody feel um, sad about this, but my goal is to encourage all of us to continue to attend something that is so important because we don't want to waste our lives on things that don't matter most. We want to invest our lives on things that, that do. And so we must worship together. So what do we do when we come into these meetings, when we worship together? What, what do we do and, and how does that refocus our affections? Well, the first thing Paul says is this. Look at him. When you meet together, one will sing. When you meet together, one will sing. So the first thing we must do is we must engage the music. We must engage the music. Paul instructs the church to sing together. Now, if you're a first-time guest, you may not know this, but every service that we have here at New Life, like the very first thing that we do is after we greet each other is sing. And that's on purpose because Paul told us to do that here. It's incredibly important. Music, specifically singing, opens up our hearts and souls to receive from God. It leads us into intimacy, and there's a reason. God designed it that way. Throughout the scriptures, God called his people to sing or play music, to celebrate him, to worship him. And it's amazing because I was a music major at Grove City College, and so I would listen to the kind of music that we did today, and I participated in bands that played this kind of music. But I would also go to, uh, to concerts, because I had to for a grade, where the organ would be featured, you know? And one of the things that's so amazing is I would go and I'd listen to my friends play the organ, and I would just be blown away by it. I mean, it's, it was just incredible. Like, I'd hear a Bach, Toccata, and Fugue, and I was like, wow. That is just, it's just beautiful. It's just moving. Music has this power to make us laugh or cry. You know, one of my all-time favorite movies is Braveheart. I, I just love that movie. And I, and I even got to the point where uh, I would listen to the, to the soundtrack of that movie, and I would just picture what was happening, you know. And, and, and I would just listen in there. Man, there's some parts where, like, you know, the drums are, are hitting really hard, and it's like, yeah, let's go take, you know, I was coming out, run out of my room and, you know, attack somebody. <laughs> you know, music has that power. But there's also the, the power, like, the music at the end of that movie when, um, I won't give it away for people, but, you know, it's sad. And, and, and so the music is sad, and it just kind of makes you reflective. You know, music has that power because God gave it that power. And so when we hear those things and when we participate in it, it opens our hearts up. And, and you know what I love about God is, is God doesn't expect us, listen, if you're, not a, if you're not a singer, that's okay. The scriptures say, listen, just make a joyful noise, right? So, so like if you don't, you know, know any of the words to the songs that we're singing, that's all right. Just, just, just voice your sound to God because it opens up our hearts. You know, you say, my Right? I mean, you can could, you could sing whatever you want. You'd be like, is that tongues? No, that was from The Lion King, okay? <laughs> All right? Because I've been practicing that for a lot of years, just so you know, okay? Right? So, but just, just, you know, thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. Would you guys mind writing a bunch of letters to Disney to tell them? <laughs> just kidding. So, so, so here's the deal. Just, just make a joyful noise to the Lord. And listen, listen. I know some of you, like, this is terrifying to you. 
okay? Because either you come from a very conservative background or number two, more likely, honestly, you're an introvert, okay? And, and listen, I get it. I'm also an introvert. Really kind of, kind of a, a big one. Um, Pastor Chris is not an introvert. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, <laughs> he's an extrovert. It's kind of like he has this plug, and when there's a crowd of people, he goes over and just plugs in, and he's like, you know, and it's, it's like, it's awesome to watch him do that. But for me, it's like, I want to unplug and run away, you know? So, so I get it. Like, when you're in a crowd of people, and, and you, you know, you, you're feeling something, God wants to do something, and yet it's like, <laughs> I don't want to raise my hands because I'm afraid they're going to look at me and think, man, look at that idiot, you know? You know? Or I don't want to sing because I can't match any pitches or whatever. Listen, who cares? It's not about what people think about you. It's about you and your relationship to God. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. So, so if you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. And listen, you don't have to, but if you want to, feel free to do that. Because it's not about you. It's not about other people. It's about your relationship with God. But just make a joyful noise to the Lord. Worship him in music. Engage him in music. So that's the first thing Paul says. Then Paul continues on. He says this, when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach. So the second thing we must do is we must receive teaching. We must receive teaching. So when we come together in worship, the first thing we do is we sing, and the second thing that we do is we receive teaching. So after singing, our hearts are prepared to receive instruction that will refocus our affections. In fact, in a different letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor, one of really has become known as his protege, Timothy. And here's what he told Timothy about Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God uses his word to teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped to accomplish the work he's given us to do. Now, there's a parallel passage in Ephesians 4 where the Apostle Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, and he gives them this instruction. He says this, Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, notice that each role has a single purpose. Paul says it right here, to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Now back up and look at the passage in 2 Timothy. What's the last thing he says? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly what? Equipped for every good work. You see, God gives gifts to the church so that you all and myself can be equipped to do the work he's called us to do. The Apostle Paul makes clear we must receive teaching to refocus our affections so that we can be thoroughly equipped. You know, I love what the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian church. He said, listen, before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, you had a work that God has given you to do. It's a work that only you can do because of your personality, your unique personality, and your unique spiritual gifts that God gives to you and your natural skills and abilities also that God gave to you put together Only you can do this. Only you can reach the people in your sphere of influence. Listen, you are incredibly important to God in accomplishing the work that he has set before you to do. But sometimes we get unfocused. 
Why? Because we're prone to it. And so this time now, God gives the gifts of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to come into the church and and say, hey guys, listen, God has gifted you to go out and do the work. God has gifted you to go out and do the work. Hey Brad, God has gifted you to go out and do the work. You know, I need hit just as much as anybody else with the word of God because it's so incredibly important. It's so incredibly important that we understand what it is that God has given us to do. We must receive teaching so that we can step out and be thoroughly equipped to accomplish the work that God has put before us to do. So the third thing, Paul continues on. He says, when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation that God has given. Look at number three. We must expect God to reveal himself to us. We must expect God to reveal himself to us. James, Jesus' brother, said this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9, And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You see, when we draw near to God, when we seek him, when we ask him, when we knock on his door, he will respond. And we must expect God to respond to us when we seek him. Jesus said that if we will ask him, if we will seek him, if we will knock on his door, he will respond. Guys, Jesus was God. And so he would say, listen, if you keep going after me, if you keep coming after me, if you keep asking, if you keep seeking, I'm going to make myself real to you. I will reveal myself to you. And I think by far, as Americans, this is probably one of the hardest things for us because we've been so trained to not expect anything to happen at church, at least anything of any significance. But the the opposite couldn't be more true. God wants to meet us here in this time together. God wants us to be in relationship with him. That's the thing that we can't miss. We must expect God to communicate with us. Remember the Israelites? God gave them a very specific revelation for their time. He addressed their worship problem. He said, guys, listen, you're, you're focusing, you're worshiping the wrong thing. You're supposed to be worshiping me. I designed it that way so that you can get your life from me so that it can pour through you. You have a worship problem. He hasn't stopped talking today to us. You know, God reveals his truth to us very directly to refocus our affection towards him. And he does this primarily through his word, which is illuminated by the Holy Spirit. I love, Jesus said that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit was to lead us and guide us into all truth. So that means that when we come in here and we receive instruction, we receive teaching that his Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to open the eyes of our hearts to receive from him his truth. God is moving, guys. And we must expect him to reveal himself to us. 
You know, it happens often for me. I'll, I'll just be, you know, opening up the, the Word of God, and I have a Bible reading plan that I follow, and, and I'll be reading something, and I'll get to, like, the first chapter and the first verse, and the Holy Spirit just shines a flashlight right on that, and it just opens my heart up, and it's like I can't get to the rest of my Bible reading time. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it happens to me pretty frequently. Somewhat frustrating because I like to check that box off and just say, I got it done today. But I know I've learned finally that, that, listen, if God is speaking through his word to a specific area, it's probably something I need to address in my life. So I need to let the Holy Spirit continue to do that. We want to expect God to move among us when we gather together. Here's number four. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. So here's number four. We must receive from each other. We must receive from each other. Now, while the example Paul used here is speaking in tongues, most likely he doesn't mean only speaking in tongues. He implies serving each other by using our spiritual gifts together. In fact, Paul says that public worship is really not the best place to speak in tongues, although certainly you can do that. Here's what he said in just a few verses before in verse 18. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Now, please understand here at New Life, we affirm and encourage the gift of tongues. But we also affirm Paul's instruction that worship must be done orderly and in an understandable way. Because what benefits the world most are Christians who demonstrate the love of God by meeting together and using their gifts in a well-organized and understandable way. You know, Jesus said we would be known by something. And, and I think this is really important for us to understand because if you've been following Jesus for a while, sometimes we can get focused on the wrong things. And so today, here's some instruction because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, we would be known to the world not by the gifts that we have, not by even the miraculous things that God can do through us through his, by his spirit. He said, we would be known by our love for each other. That's what Jesus said. So when we come together, we need to love each other. We need to receive from each other. And you know what love really does? Love leads to service. And that's the second thing that refocuses our affection. Remember that? The first thing is we worship Jesus together. And then out of that, out of that refocusing of our affections towards God, we receive God's heart and we begin to love each other and we begin to serve each other. That's the second thing. We must serve him. So who's him? Jesus. Look what the apostle Paul, uh, look what happened to the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13. This is amazing. It happened in a worship service, much like what we're doing today. And, and, and what happened was God called Paul to a specific mission on the earth. And I'm so thankful that God did this because if God hadn't done this to Paul, we might not be here today. Look what happened. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So Saul became known as Paul. He was renamed after his conversion to Paul. And, and this is just so incredible. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit did what? He actually spoke to the people. They expected him to do that. They wanted him to do that. They knew, you know, that song that we sing, hanging on every word that you say, man, that should be us. 
We need to hang on every word that comes out of the, of the mouth of God. And maybe some of us will be sent out as a result of being together in worship because when we align our affections with God, we can't help but go and tell the world about Jesus. God alone must be our desire. His mission must be our mission, and we engage in worship to glorify Him. That's what we do. We glorify God in worship, but it's not just for us. It's also for the sake of the world. In fact, that's our take-home point for today. That's the one thing I hope you'll walk out of here with today, and that's this, that we worship God to His glory for the sake of the world. We worship God to His glory for the sake of the world. We engage in worship as a core value for us because if we remain unmoved in worship, we will waste all that God has for us. Guys, God doesn't want us to waste our lives. God wants us to invest our lives, and it starts by refocusing our hearts on Jesus. Because when we do that, he fills us up, and he speaks to us, and he leads us under the instruction of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he sends us out. So we come together, we gather together to proclaim the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who saved us. And we proclaim that together so that when we go out of here, we are equipped by our hearts being refocused by God and by the instruction of his word, showing us areas of our life that we need to adjust and fix so that when we go into the, our realms of influence, where we live, where we work, and where we play or hang out, that people go, man, there is just something different about you, and I want what you have. That's a direct result of coming together every week and worshiping together. We engage in worship because it is that important. We engage in worship because out of worship comes our mission here at New Life to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the, everybody say, world. World, right? One person at a time. That's why we exist. We are here for the sake of the world. We're here in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania for the sake of the world. God has appointed us to be here. And that's why we gather together. So there's very, one very practical thing we can do to keep our affections aligned with God, and that is to not miss worship here on a weekly basis. Why? Because it refocuses our affections as we worship Jesus, and, and we're, we can go out and serve him as we are equipped to do that. So the commitment for today is a very bold one, <laughs> and, and I want to ask you to take it very seriously. I want you to think over it. Here it is. I will not miss worship for an entire year. <laughs> you can't be serious. I am serious. I am very serious. Because it's that important for us. Because humans are prone to being distracted by things other than God. We must gather together. And I want to encourage you to, to do it. And I, and I want to just encourage you, listen, don't feel guilty 
by doing this. Don't feel like if you miss a week, like, you know, you get a, I don't know, you get a star taken off your chart on God's refrigerator. I don't know, whatever it is. Okay, that's not the case. God's not concerned about legalism. He's concerned about your relationship with him. High and above and far and beyond anything else. So it's not a legalistic thing. It's a thing where we come together and we worship together and then we go and we serve as a direct result of that. And listen, if you are away and you can't get here, you can watch our service online on Facebook at 1130. And as long as we have internet, we can put that video up and we will. So don't miss it. I want to encourage you so much to, to be here and to do that. So we have a problem. It's a worship problem. And God himself is the solution. And as we surrender ourselves daily to him in obedience and weekly to him in corporate worship, he, he realigns our affections toward himself and his mission. And we find the life we've always wanted by serving others in the name of Jesus. It begins here. And it begins now by engaging in the white hot worship of Jesus. Don't waste your life on things that don't matter. Invest it in worshiping God and serving others because the decisions we make now matter for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have your word which shows us that when we worship you, when we put you first as you told the Israelites so long ago, that that you realign our affections towards yourself, which is what we were designed for. God, would you just shake us today? Would you wake us up? And God, for any in here who for the very first time are hearing that there's a God who actually wants to have a relationship with, with us, God, would you open their hearts to receive from you now as, as we remember what Jesus did in living a life we couldn't live and dying a death we should have died, and being raised back to life, overcoming sin and death forever, and offering us his life in exchange for really nothing. God, we are so thankful for your grace and love. Help us, God, to believe you when everything and everyone around us tells us not to. Help us to worship you when it's hard, when it's uncomfortable, when it's weird, God, help us to serve so that we might be fulfilled by you, by your Holy Spirit. God, lead us and guide us as we learn to engage in worship together as a church family gathered here in Saxonburg, PA, known as New Life. We just love you and thank you, God, for your incredible love for us, and we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.